It was an honor to serve with the Jedi Knight. It was my privilege to be your teacher. I hope this assignment wasn't too boring for you. Eh, it had its moments. Huh. Like the one where you convinced untrained children to help you overthrow a corrupt government? That was a highlight. It sounds pretty risky. You're lucky you didn't get hurt. Nothing you wouldn't have done. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Buto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones! In this episode! On Mandalore, the tentacles of corruption reach deeper as Ahsoka Tano and four Academy pupils discover another treasonous plot and Satine is captured! So Ahsoka and her students must come up with a rescue plan to free the Duchess and return law and order to Mandalore! Hey, Chips, it's your old buddy Bucho on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars. And next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars, he's the Anakin to my Ahsoka. It's your old pal Robbie. Hello there. And we're about to launch into the 46th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's Season 3, Episode 6, The Academy. So, Robbie, how about we roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about this episode before you rewatched it again this week? You know, this was one that I thought that I knew what was going to happen, but I wasn't quite sure because, you know, when you watch a, a series like this, sometimes since they kind of skip around with plots, you kind of get the idea that, you know, this is going to happen in this episode, and you're like, oh, okay, well, that must happen later. Well, the one, that, the thing that I was thinking that was going to happen in this episode is the thing that I was thinking it was going to happen, so. You're right. Yeah, I mean, old uh, Almac shows his uh, true colors. But, I mean, yeah, that's really all I really remembered. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't have been too surprised that Olmec went bad in this episode, but I think they've done a pretty good job of making him feel quite maybe passive or ineffective in the previous episodes. He has had this whole act of just being the bureaucrat stuck in his rules and committees and what have you. And so when he turned in this episode, it did kind of get me a little bit by surprise. I thought his function in the series was just to show what I guess a career politician can be like, how they can be ineffectual sometimes. But it uh, turns out that old Purple Eyes Olmec, he was the bad guy. Yeah, and I think I remembered back to when I first watched it, and I was always suspicious of him. And maybe it's just because uh, I felt like we had already kind of gotten the sort of ineffectual stuff from showing the Senate, you know, in the movies, you know what I mean? How the, how the Senate works. And so I kind of felt like having another character like that might be a little... Like, it would be too much to have that happen in the series as well. But yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, for me, it was like, especially this time, I was like, as soon as he showed up a few episodes ago, I was like, oh yeah, that's that guy. That's that guy that is uh, kind of pulling the strings in the background. But yeah, he's just a smarmy dude. I mean, ugh. Yeah, I guess with a character like Olmec, when you set him up as this kind of ineffectual bureaucrat, he's either going to go one or two ways. Either he's going to be revealed as the bad guy, or he's going to have a scene where he pulls up his britches and actually gets to work, you know? He actually flies into action finally, and that'll be his arc. But of course, we also meet Corky and the gang in this episode, Robbie, this young father who turns out to be Satine's nephew, and... He has a small mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which makes you think he's going to turn out to be a villain, like when you see someone with a small mouth like that. Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, for me, it was distracting. But, you know, 
Let's not be too mean. This is just a kid, remember? Just, uh, let's not make fun of what he looks like too much. I'm just... I, hey, I just... When this actor is out there, he's trying to get work in other TV shows, right? In other animated shows. I guess so. Because remember, it's the character that we're talking about, but he's still a real person. <laughs> no. Well, the actor's fine. <laughs> it was the, the design of the small mouth. But at least, hey, at least this time, the students look a bit different in this episode. They're not just all blondes. I made a note of that because I remembered it being so distracting in the in the last episode. Right. And this one, I mean, they definitely have some variety in the way that they look. Yeah, and we also see a bit of variety in the prison scene. I remember that note you made last time in this. So there's some um, Mandalorians in that prison with brown hair and what have you. And I guess the purple eyes. Was there anyone else with purple eyes? I didn't notice that. I just noticed Elmec has purple eyes. Maybe he's the only one. Maybe he's wearing contacts. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's a fashionable thing. I'm, I'm surprised they're not cube-shaped. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, everything's cube-shaped in that world, including the prison cells. And, of course, Satine ends up in prison in this episode. But before she gets there, we start with a good old purple-eyes Prime Minister Almec telling Anakin and Ahsoka about the new rule regarding off-worlders carrying weapons. And, and Ahsoka responds with, Master Obi-Wan, cause trouble? That's a first. And right there is where I'm expecting a Satine reaction shot, Robbie. Maybe an eyebrow raise, maybe the hint of a smile, maybe she blushes a little, but... Director Giancarlo Volpe, that tease, he decided not to give us any Satine reaction there at all. Did that seem like a missed opportunity to you, Robbie? It didn't actually occur to me, but now that you mention it, yeah, it would have been interesting. Maybe to see, you know, the way that other Jedi view Obi-Wan. I mean, I I would think that Anakin and and I would say especially Anakin probably view Obi-Wan as a bit of a stick in the mud. Right. You know, and and a lot of the the times. So for Satine to react to Obi-Wan the way that she did kind of makes you think that Obi-Wan might have had a uh, tumultuous uh, beginning as a Padawan. Well, speaking of tumultuous, Robbie, after Ahsoka saves the cadets from Almec's heavies, the cadets and Ahsoka don't leave the scene. They just stand around at the same location at which they were attacked, talking in the dark and then watching a hologram recording, not only staying in the same place, but standing completely out in the open. So they know that someone is really trying to get them, but they just continue to be about as vulnerable as they could be to any reinforcements that might arrive. And from the point of view of these naive kids, maybe this makes sense. But from Ahsoka's point of view, it just seemed very surprisingly non-street smart and very tactically questionable. I don't know. Did you have the same feeling about the end of that scene, Robbie? I don't even know. I mean, they just act like dumb kids a lot of the time. I mean, how clumsy they are and how, like, unaware of their surroundings, you know? Like when the, you know, he knocks off the pad. I mean, it's just kind of like characters do something stupid just to further the plot right right just to make them vulnerable that's kind of what we see here you know what i mean and, and it's i mean i kind of understand in a way because you've got a very very short time frame you got 22 minutes to tell this story but at the same time it it seems like it, it should be a, a little bit more thought out and you know these, these are supposed to be what 15 16 year old cadets i mean you, you would hope <laughs> that they would be a little further advanced at this point Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, maybe I'm bad at judging age or what have you, because I had them pegged as quite a bit younger. I thought they were maybe 13, 14, maybe 12. Mm. You know, for some reason, I thought they were younger kids, but that's maybe on me. I mean, I think we've, we've talked about this before a little bit more in a positive light, but, you know, almost any story has plot points that you can nitpick. And there are like multiple YouTube channels and podcasts out there who make their bread out of pointing out things which can somehow be framed as illogical or inconsistent or labeled as plot holes you know in movies and tv shows and that kind of breakdown can be done for literally any movie or tv episode 
which has ever been made. Maybe except Jaws, the greatest movie all, all time and the only perfect movie. <laughs> but there's a certain level of satisfaction you can draw from convincing yourself that you're smarter than the filmmaker or the storyteller in any situation. And that's where these channels and podcasts make their bread. They make you feel smarter because you see something that the filmmaker messed up. But ultimately, the way that I like to try to approach it is to acknowledge up front that every story has situations that we could label as plot holes if we we're in that kind of mood. And I'd prefer to try and consider that the thing that really matters is how good a job the storyteller is doing to get the audience so invested in the story or, and in the characters that they're not bothered by something like, for example, Leia seeming to suffer no ongoing emotional effects after seeing her entire planet destroyed. And so we get that scene of her comforting Luke and he's just lost Obi-Wan Kenobi, who he's known for about a week or something. <laughs> and Leia has lost her entire planet. And right, when you think too much about this moment, it doesn't actually make emotional sense for Leia's character uh, unless we are to assume that she doesn't have any emo- I don't know. It's one of those things where you can do this with pretty much any movie, including movies we love with all of our hearts, like the original Star Wars, like A New Hope. And as we've talked about in the past with episodes like Rookies and Clone Cadets and Landing at Point Rain, for example, filmmakers in the Clone Wars can get away with using some very obvious, what we might call tropes, and obvious storytelling and filmmaking tricks that are familiar to us. But if the filmmaker's done enough to get us invested in the episode and invested in the characters... You know, they can get away with that sort of thing and we'll go with it and we'll, we won't nitpick any of these little, I guess, predictable things or obvious things. And unfortunately, though, the Academy had a real tough time getting me to invest in the story. I think maybe in large part because there are four new characters in the story. These kids are a fair bit more bland than other kid characters we've met in previous episodes like Numa or Jabo or young Boba Fett of course or even Jack so we don't get to know that much about but we get more of a sense of him as a character I felt and he's more interesting as a character so I don't know does any of that resonate with you Robbie? I mean absolutely I mean I I get what you're saying and I'm not saying it's like some sort of plot hole or whatever but well to be clear I'm saying that I agree with you that the plot holes stood out in this episode more And it wasn't because maybe there were more plot holes than other episodes. It was because these characters weren't characters that I felt invested in or that I was that interested in, you know, because they were kind of bland, I guess. So to be clear, I agree with you on this, on the the plot hole, let's say. I just am sort of getting more at why these plot holes maybe stood out more than usual. No, that's a good point. And I mean, I wasn't trying to say that, you know, you were not agreeing with me. It was more of, I, I feel like... Anytime that they do that, I mean, and it doesn't matter how important the character is and how interesting the character is or whatever. It's when characters just do dumb stuff. I don't know. It just kind of irritates me a little bit, I guess. I mean, right. there's been times when, I mean, in, in definitely in all kinds of movies of all types of genres where a character will do something that's just so stupid that you just, it takes you out of it. I mean, I would say Prometheus might be an example that a lot of people would use. When scientists, oh, I'm going to touch this snake-looking thing. I mean, I get it. I totally get it. Right. Um, Right. I don't know, man. I just feel like there was a missed opportunity here to show some ingenuity on the side of the kids. Right. Instead of them being just, you know, fodder for the plot. You know what I mean? I feel like my point's getting lost there, but you know what I'm saying. No, I think I get what you're saying. Because when they start off and they show ingenuity and initiative by going to investigate themselves and they show a lot of promise in that moment and they obviously have some skills we see Sonny I think her name is she has these uh, cool hacking skills you know and she can break into government facilities with her cool hacking skills but they never develop 
any of the characters sort of beyond that. And really, in the end, maybe the only thing we really learn about them is when Cookie and the gang tell Satine what they saw, and Satine basically pats them on the head and sends them on their way because, you know, they're just kids. But that causes Corky to doubt his auntie duchess so much that he goes to the prime minister. But then at the end, after Ahsoka says, I never doubted you, duchess, Corky responds with, neither did we. So this kid is pretty much just a big old liar, liar, pants on fire, isn't he, Robbie? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things where I feel like that right there is probably one of the bigger plot holes that you could say in this episode is that they're just, it's almost like, well, we're, we, you know, we, we got this ending, you know, right, right. We got to find a way to get there. Well, what's the most expedient way to get there? Well, let's make them do something stupid. You know, I just, I don't know. Yeah. I think just going back to that point, I don't have as much of a problem as you and characters do something stupid because I relate to that because I do stupid things all the time. But I think what I was getting at earlier was because it's Ahsoka who is a lot more street smart and tactically aware by this point. You know, we've seen her go into the Coruscant underground before. We've seen her lead squadrons into battle. And so for the kids to do foolish things, that's understandable because they're kids, you know, they're very sheltered. I mean, we have a scene where Ahsoka basically reads the dictionary definition of corruption to them and they've never heard of corruption, which maybe that's one of the reasons I assumed they were (laughs) younger, you know, 10 or 11. They're like, what? People, you know, they're super naive kids. And so I felt like they were at least consistent in that when they were making naive decisions, it's because they're just kids. Whereas the scene that I brought up that bothered me where they stood around after being attacked in the same spot without regrouping somewhere safer was because Ahsoka was there not making the smart decision. And that was what seemed inconsistent because we know by now she's a lot more street smart. Does that make sense? Am I making any sense? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe the filmmakers here are trying to make a comment on private schools versus public schools. (laughs) More (laughs) politics. There's no end to the politics in this episode, Robbie. Well, speaking of filmmaking, maybe it's time we talk about our favorite shot of the episode. So, Robbie, what was your favorite shot of the Academy well, I think uh, I think there's there's some weird animation consistencies that I wanted to bring up real quick too. Sure. Like Ahsoka's facial movements, her emotions seemed very exaggerated. You know, like I don't know if you noticed that, but it was something that just and it happened like twice within like two minutes. She reacts by kind of I don't know. There was just weird facial. I don't even know how to ex- this explain it. It's just really, really exaggerated. I just, just for the troops out there, Robbie is making some pretty neat <laughs> facial expressions right now. It's a shame we're not a video show, but he's doing a real, a pretty good Ahsoka. But I just don't. I don't know. It was just weird. But I think my favorite shot of the episode was there was some really cool green lights in Satine's office. Just the way that that it was. Again, it, it, apparently, I'm a fan of lighting. And I ne- never really realized <laughs> yeah. it, but I mean, it just looked really, really cool. That's my shot of the episode. I mean, there wasn't anything that super stood out to me, except I really liked the lighting in that scene. Yeah, I've liked it. From season two onward, I've just noticed the lighting design a lot more as well, and how they play with shadows and different color schemes and what have you. So, oh, yeah, I'm, I like that stuff too. For me, the most effective shot of the episode was the low-angled shot of Ahsoka when she first sees Satine in the prison. It's pretty darn effective with the way it starts with Ahsoka entering through the door with those two guards. And as Ahsoka continues to walk forward, the camera stays in place, but it pans to follow her. And then as she moves forward, it tilts upward. And we see Ahsoka in the foreground looking up at Paul Satine up there in silhouette in a raised glass cell. 
with her head seemingly hung low and her posture slouched, which is something we never expect from someone who we always see as so poised. But just the fact that shown in silhouette, for me that did a really great job of making my heart go out to her because the fact she's in silhouette puts us at a remove from her as well. We can't see the details, but her posture tells us so much. So... In spite of recent questions we might have had about some of Satine's recent choices in the last episode, I still really dig her, of course. And my heart definitely went out to her in that moment. I just thought it was a really effective bit of filmmaking, and that was my favorite shot of the episode. And here's something that we can talk about around this scene. The idea that these Mandalorians can be trained to resist mind tricks? Right. Is this something that people can just learn? Or is this a Mandalorian thing? I mean, I wouldn't think it would be just a Mandalorian thing. But it's like the first time that, I don't know, I guess I just never really considered that resisting mind tricks could be taught to you. I mean, I guess there's all kinds of ways that you can learn how to, you know, slow your breathing and and control your heart rate, you know, just using your mind. I mean, that's something that's real in our world. So why couldn't it be that they could resist mind tricks? But I don't know. It was just the first time that I'd that I'd really kind of been aware of it. Right. Like, to me, I just assumed that, like, for example, when Cad Bane is trying to keep the Jedis out, you know, when he's being interrogated, I always thought that that was maybe due to his his race of people. And I just, for some reason, I never considered that it, you could just learn how to do that. I guess I go back to Obi-Wan first explaining how it kind of works in A New Hope, and where Luke says, I don't understand how we got by those troops. I thought we were dead. And Obi-Wan Kenobi says the Force can have a strong influence on the weak-minded. And I can buy that people can make themselves less weak-minded. I mean, there are methods to make yourself mentally tougher. Even like military training, part of a lot of military training, you know, right from the get-go. And these guys are military guys. So I guess being aware that the Jedi's use this trick, they could work that into their training. So I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have the same issue that you do with that stuff. Well, it's not an issue. It was just a, I guess it was for me, maybe I'm just uh Maybe I'm weak-minded as well, but I just, for some reason, I'd always assume. Well, no, I've tried to mind-check you before, Robin. It's never worked. <laughs> but it's just like I've, I just, I don't know what I thought. I guess I just assumed that certain people were easier to control. I, I just, I don't know. It's just something I'd never really considered the actual idea of training yourself to resist that. But I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting line they brought up. Yeah, that was something we learned from this episode, Robbie. And what else? Did you learn anything else from the Academy, or was that what you learned from the Academy? What did we learn from the Academy? That's definitely one of them, but I think the other thing that we can learn is that if you're on Mandalore, you have to beware of falling cadets, (laughs) because they just repeatedly fell on the guard. (laughs) They just, I don't know, for some reason, I just started cracking up. When they kept falling on them, it just made me laugh. Speaking of the kids, um, what I learned from this episode was that if you decide to go sneaking around in government warehouses, don't bring Amos with you. That kid is easily spooked, and he's just going to give you away. That's uh, that's a good lesson to learn. So now it's time for our summing up, Robbie, and our ratings. So what were your overall thoughts on the Academy, and where does it sit on that four-star Robbie scale? I mean, this one is... I don't think it's as, as poor as the previous episode, but there's some <laughs> there's some lapses in judgment, and uh, I don't know, it's just goofy in a lot of ways. So for me, this one's a two and a half out of four. Yeah, I felt like the messaging in this episode was maybe even more heavy-handed than the previous episode. But with this episode and the previous episode, it really felt to me almost as if they were solely aimed at kids rather than at both grown-ups and kids. Like, I felt the series is kind of pitched out as a whole. So I was actually ready to peg this episode all the way down at a three. But... 
I did appreciate finally having an Ahsoka story again after what's felt like eons and I don't feel like dinging any episode featuring Satine too hard because you know she's one of my favorites now and this episode did also briefly feature some Gotels Robbie which are one of the more fun looking kind of alien species in Star Wars they were there in the warehouse during the clandestine meeting so in the end I have the academy bumped up at five electric shocks from the shock color on the dastardly Prime Minister Elmec and that's mission accomplished for season three episode six the academy so Robbie won't you please let the troops out there know what are our communications channels sure we are Bucho and Robbie at Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram. That's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D-R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 47th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's Season 3, Episode 7, Assassin. And until then, this is your old buddy Bucho, alongside your trusty pal Robbie. And we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform and Pucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Pucho and Robbie at gmail.com. May the force be with you.